0: Brian Middleton shall forever be known as Brian the unbeatable. (laughs) He was not overcome by the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. Thank you, Brian, for that reading. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word that your Holy Spirit has inspired, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us in a way that only your Spirit knows how. You know how to speak to those of us who are already in your family and to those who are not yet and we pray that we would have your wisdom and eyes to see that in the authoritative scriptures there's something for us and there's something you are challenging us on or rebuking us on or encouraging us and comforting us may we see that in the baptism of your son in your name jesus we pray amen so we're carrying on in our Journey in the Gospel of Luke, uh, which I think is, I think is pretty good. Luke is, Luke is good. Are you enjoying Luke? Lucas? Luke yeah. I'm not asking whether you're enjoying me preaching on Luke. I'm saying you' Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which is delightful, isn't it? And so as we begin thinking about finishing chapter three, you are now president. You are now Prime minister. You are now kings and queens. It is your first day. What are you going to do? What law do you pass? What do you say? Okay, what first impression are you going to have on your first day? Some of us still remember our first day at school, and probably the only thing that we were concerned about that day was to not make a hash of it, to not make people scratch their heads when they looked at us and wondered, this alien kid has joined our school and we really don't like them. And so we are often very concerned about what other people will think. That's not the case with Jesus on his first day of public ministry, which is what seems to happen in his baptism here. We'll talk about that. But at the start of Jesus' public ministry, he confused everyone, not least the guy who was announcing his coming, John the Baptist. You see that already in verse 21. He meets John. John is like, Jesus, I don't get what you're doing. Okay, And even all the way when we get to chapter 7, John is in prison, and he is going, Is Jesus the one? Like, I've known Jesus for years, but is he the one or not? I don't know. I need to find out for myself. So our passage begins with a little flashback. John is, you know, this is before John was imprisoned by Herod, which is where we left off last week. And John was pointing to the Messiah, and now the Messiah is here, God's promised one. What is he going to do? I'm going to challenge you with this thought. What he's going to do is, he's going to already show us in this passage that he will beat every challenge for his children. And I'm going to go super old school and cheesy and say that he will beat every challenge, B-E-A-T. Yes, he will. He will be, be baptized in our place. He will be empowered for our salvation and for our example. He will be affirmed for our joy, and he will be shown to be the truer son of God. Yes, there is a point even to that genealogy. So let's think about this. He was baptized in our place. What kinds of things do we do in the place of other people? I've met identical twins that have been so savvy as to take a test at school for their twin because they weren't as confident. Perhaps that's something you have done. Uh, there we go. George here has an identical twin. And the other week perhaps you were very confused. <laughs> I know Matthew was um, very confused about who's George and who's not. All the siblings who are I know unheard of but so caring towards their younger siblings that they take the blame for something that they have done to preserve their status, their life, Perhaps. Imagine that, all the siblings. Would you do that? (laughs) If you were here in the building, you would have heard an immediate unflinching, no, I wouldn't do that. But when people do things like that for us, they show that they are team Tiago. They are team you. They are committed to you. They're doing things they don't have to do so that you benefit. Here, Jesus goes above and beyond taking our place as a full human being who said, you know what? I'm team human, 100%. I'm going to do everything that humanity failed to do. And you'll see why that is. But as we go through the passage, Jesus is going to get baptized. Why did anyone? If you remember, and you look at chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 3, there's your reason. John had been A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And you're scratching your heads already. But Jesus has no sin. What is he doing? Well, at least three reasons from three different books of the Bible, if you're taking notes. One reason comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1. Baptism there seems to be seen as the beginning of Jesus' public ministry because when they're picking, the new Judas, they're going, hey, it's got to be someone who's been there since the baptism of John. So wow, that really seems to mark the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, a final season of his life where John, who everyone knew was a prophet, everyone who trusted in God, John, who they knew to be a prophet, says, hey, this is the guy. That was the day for a lot of people. Another reason from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 3, and you can go there. Um, I don't know if I put it On the screen I don't think I did but you can go there Matthew chapter 3 and if you read with me from verses 13 here's what happens there then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John but John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me Jesus replied let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then John baptized Jesus he fulfills all righteousness because you and I may have read the rest of the New Testament. And we know that Jesus fulfill all, fulfills all righteousness because he clothes us, his children, in his righteousness. So he must do everything that we should have done and baptism for repentance is part of that. Even though he has no sin because he is the perfect son of God. And yet, we come back to Luke, and you look at verse 21, our reason in Luke. So Jesus is showing the beginning of his formal ministry. He fulfills our righteousness. And here, look, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, all the people, it's the context, Jesus comes out of this crowd, all the people, and was baptized too. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm one of these guys. I'm human, 100%. I'm coming out of the crowd, identifying with the sinners I have come to save when I get baptized. He's one of them. Jesus did everything to be truly one of us. And I don't know what you think of this, but as you look at Jesus going down into the water, you think back to, you know, we had a baptismal service not long ago, a few weeks ago, and we uh, you may know Romans chapter 6, where Paul connects baptism and us. And he says, hey, just like Jesus was baptized, we connect with Him. When He dies, we die with Him. When He raises out of the water, we rise with Him. And so I have this image. Jesus is enveloped by the water, prefiguring that when He goes into the tomb, covered in His blood shed for us. And as He comes out of the water, a picture, He comes out of the tomb, new life, new body, never to die, where everywhere we failed as human beings, Jesus did it right. He succeeded in our place. So this encourages us. It encourages us because it shows Jesus fulfilled every requirement that a human being was put on by God. And that means when he says, I can forgive your sin, you can face your sin because you are not afraid of God's judgment. You don't have to be afraid of your failures, because behind your sin, behind your failures, you see a Jesus who covers all of your sin, a Jesus who, like this baptism, he did every little detail that was necessary. So he, if he fulfilled everything that God required of humanity, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to compare myself, because I know... I look to God, I look to Him, and I'm assured of my place in God's family. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. That also means if this is one of the many things Jesus did to identify with us, He really gets us. And we keep coming back to this point in the Gospel of Luke, that when you and I are feeling the weakness of our sin, the weight of our wretchedness, how much we fail, Jesus understands He was 100% human but he understands also what it's like to overcome. And he promises that for us too. So Jesus was baptized in our place, so we know he truly did redeem us because he did right everything we failed to do. But that's not our last stop. He baptized in our place, empowered for our salvation, for our example. School in Brazil started when I was growing up at 7 a.m., 7, 7.15, 7.15 because the sun rises at half past five, so you've got no excuse. Get up, get ready, go to school, right? Or skip school as I did. Kids don't do that. And finishes at one o'clock. So you come home from school and you watch TV, right? And you watch Old People TV because everyone else is at work. And Old People TV will show you this. Here's something really amazing that looks impossible for you to do. Buy this and you can do it. So it's like, here's a beautiful dish. It's, it's just a sculpted carrot in a salad, buy the Spiralizer Beta 2000 FG22, and you can do this. If you have this resource, you can do it. You know, I go to a garden center here, and um, there's always that little screen, isn't there? Little screen showing your patio. <laughs> Dreadful, dark, dirty, you know, and then someone comes in with magic product. job down You can do this. Or they need this product. Why am I telling you this? When we come to see what it means for Jesus to be empowered for our salvation, you and I may be surprised that Jesus relied, that Jesus' true human, Jesus the man, relied on God the Holy Spirit for everything he did to rescue us. Though he was God, he chose to rely on God the Holy Spirit as our example and for our salvation. So what's special about this baptism? Let's talk about a few things that are special about it. One is that the heavens were open. That's pretty cool. You remember that a few weeks ago George told us that there was this period of 400-some years of silence between the close of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and when Jesus comes on, when uh, John the Baptist and Jesus come along. People might have been asking, when is God going to speak again? How am I going to know? Tell you what, if the heaven's open, you know. You know, there is no doubt. Jesus is not just some ordinary person at this point. When heaven opens, you see a different reality that you didn't have access to before. Kind of like when we were talking about the book of Revelation. This is a perfect and a beautiful picture. This and later on, the transfiguration of Jesus. We're going to get there. Of how you may have met Jesus, you know, 2,000 some years ago and thought nothing of him. Isn't that why Isaiah says this? There was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Isaiah 53. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But you see a little unveiling of the glorious Jesus at his baptism and you go, oh, this isn't just some dude. And we see that here when the Holy Spirit descends. Not physically like a literal dove, but like a dove. More awesome than that, John sees this And he remembers what God had said that we have in John chapter 1. I'll read it to you. And it says this. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we begin to think about a theme that Jesus had this intimate, special, close relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. That was unique That was an expectation of God's chosen one, the Messiah. When he comes, he will be tight with the Holy Spirit. Kind of like Isaiah 49. Well, when we hear a voice from heaven, we have this. Isaiah 49 says, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. You can, we don't have time, but other passages that you want to look at, Isaiah 11, we'll talk about how the Spirit of God comes on the Messiah and gives him wisdom, knowledge, saying to us that Jesus, having the Holy Spirit, having this close connection with the Holy Spirit, every time Jesus is wise, every time Jesus performs a miracle, he's doing it with the same resource, with the same tool, as it were, with God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Helping, assisting, empowering him. That's an encouragement to us. Because Jesus invites us to rely, to trust on God the Holy Spirit as his children. It's through the work of the Spirit in us. That's why this also encourages us. It's not impossible. And if you were to look at the religions of the world, you would think it's impossible to get nearer to God. Because we're so broken and messed up. And yet... Jesus, who draws on the strength of God, the Holy Spirit, as a man, though he is God, as a man, is exemplifying for you and for me. If you are a child of God, come near to God in the same way by God, the Holy Spirit. I was talking to George earlier this week about this, and he pointed out that there is this scene. When you come to um, this movie, The Darkest Hour, and Darkest Hour, and you've got Gary Oldman acting, um, you know, Winston Churchill, and it's, how many of you guys have seen this movie? That's like most of you, brilliant. In the underground scene, right, he's going, okay, do do we even cogitate the possibility of peace with Hitler or not? And he's there with the British people, and he says, you, the British people, what is your mood? And they say, confidence, confidence, confidence. If the worst came to pass, he says, and the enemy enemy were to appear on these streets above, what will you do? And they say, we'll fight. By any means necessary, one lady says, with my broom handle. I'm like, wow. And the Winston Churchill was a bit sad, then asks, what would you say to peace with Hitler? Never. And there's just an echo of never, 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 never. Little kid in the corner here. Never. And He leaves that underground station heartened, encouraged to do what is right. Jesus here, unlike us, doesn't rely on the voices of other human beings to encourage, to hearten Him. God the Holy Spirit is enough. God the Holy Spirit sustains, encourages the children of God. That is the same voice that we listen to if we are God's children, because he lives in us. That's the same voice we listen to when we open the Bible that he inspired, like we're doing tonight, so that he can speak with us. Jesus was strengthened, even as he prayed, as we're going to find throughout the gospel. And for us children of God, Romans chapter 8, even as we pray with inexpressible groans that the Holy Spirit translates before the throne of God, we have confidence that we have closeness with him. And so we would only neglect these ways that God strengthens us for obedience to Him at our own danger and peril. So this half term, kids, don't just let it be a time where you just do whatever you want because it's easy for me to do that and forget to engage with God, to read His Word, to pray, to be surrounded by other people that are sharing God with you. It should never be awkward for us. To be God's means of grace for each other, the Holy Spirit can use us to speak to one another as we find in the rest of the scriptures. Don't miss out on the love of God. And so here, in this beautiful picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus was empowered by God the Holy Spirit to accomplish our salvation and to show us this is what we should have been like, true, full humans. And now we follow in his footsteps if we are already his children. So, baptized in our place, empowered by the Spirit, affirmed by the Father for our joy. I love how much love there is in this little passage. Size of nothing, this passage, isn't it? God has always loved his creatures. We're going to come up on a genealogy, right, that ends with Adam. And God loved Adam from his creation, created men and women, called them very good. He wouldn't have been talking to them in the cool of the day if he didn't love them. Even after God's creation departed from him, human beings, he would still say, Hosea chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God loved Adam. God loved Israel. Loved Adam and Eve. Loved Israel. The father loves Jesus, the man, the incarnate. When he says, verse 22, a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Putting together Psalm 2, that reads, hey, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. uh, Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. In the one in whom God delights, he puts his spirit, and he's going to bring justice to the nations. He's a son like no other son, having a throne like no other king. This is the son. Get this picture in your mind. You'll see why. God delights in him, and as part of his delighting in him, gives him his spirit. Jesus comes later in the Gospel of Luke and reads Isaiah 61, and he says, this is all about me, what he does by the Spirit of God. In that note, the Father loved Adam, the Father loved Israel, the Father loved Jesus, the Father invites us into this love here that we find in this passage. Are you ever jealous of love when you see it? in its various forms. Some of you, I may have mentioned this to you um, over the last few weeks and months, but you know my wife and I are very eager to adopt. We're very eager, very excited about it. And I work with children, work with children from lovely families. Some of them are here tonight. And when I see parents loving their kids, Even as they tell them off, comforting them when they cry. Sometimes just a functionally dysfunctional family being together by the grace of God, forgiving one another, I weep a little bit in my heart of joy that such families exist. And I remind myself, taking aside my rosy view of parenting, I still go, want that that's lovely perhaps for some of you it isn't the same as me but you look at couples like that maybe you look at friendships like that friendships where absolutely everything is intimately shared and there is no dark areas there's no hiddenness and you look at friendships like that and you may be jealous of that kind of life The more you understand the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father, the inter-Trinitarian love, the more you would be jealous of it, coveting it, wanting it. And you look here, the God of the universe, maker of all things, depends on nobody, says, I delight, I love. And you go, yeah, I want that. Well, here's some news for you if paul is right in romans 6 and saying baptism connects us this beautiful symbolic picture with jesus and everything that is jesus's righteousness is now mine and yours if you trust in him then what is said of jesus here strangely applies to you my son That's you, even if you're a woman, because you know that in the ancient Near East, women did not have full rights in the family as much as sons, and so you take this upon yourself. God is saying, you have every privilege of being my child, my son. That's you. I love you. Hear that. Hear that tonight. If you are in Jesus, if you are clothed in his righteousness, you belong to him, that is true of you a commitment of love that is a choice from the Father that is unchanging, unlike all of our other relationships. Just listen to this barrage of verses that proclaim this love for God's people. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. 1 John 1, 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Jude 1. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father. Doesn't that sound like God saying, you're my son, in whom I take pleasure. Lastly, John seventeen twenty three. Then the world will know, Jesus prays, that you sent me and have loved them. Them. Even as you have loved me. Where was Jesus' identity, his acceptance, his assurance as a human being he's fully God but he's living here as a human being in the father where is our identity our security our assurance not in the approval of others not in the community we belong to not in the church denomination that we're part of or in our career achievements it's in the father it's in the father he loves me his love counts more than any other love will the father ever change the love that he invited us to never not any more than he can stop being God. This unchanging love of the Father, that when we look at this picture, we go, if I'm in Jesus, this is mine, comforts us in those dark days. The dark days that remind you and me that, you know, even our best friendships at school, at home, even our best marriages, they crack. And through the cracks, we see a little bit of our brokenness when we fight, when we argue, when we think that, perhaps the best friend, most intimate friend that we have shows that they don't really get us 100%. It's because in all of those situations, we are shown again, we are longing for this love. We are longing for being the ones that the Father says, I love you intimately and closely, and that will never change. Compare that with any other religion. Which other religion is it that can say, God, the maker of all things, is my dad. I'm his and he is mine. That is awesome. So he's affirmed by the Father for our joy because we we're invited into this Trinitarian love. But lastly, he is the truer son of Adam. The truer son of God, sorry. Because so we're going to come to this genealogy. Is this something you skip when you read the Bible? Probably, probably, yes. It's hard, isn't it? How many of you, like Brian tonight, every time you come across a genealogy, you read it out loud for the pleasure of it? Just because you can, you know? And you're like, Afaxad, yes, that's brilliant. That's a good name for a kid, you know? If, we, if our kid that we adopt is young enough, we might change their name to Afaxad. <laughs> that was a no, don't think we're gonna do that. <laughs> But there we go, you know. And you think, it's not just for the cool names that this genealogy is here as we bring things to a close. There are many reasons why family trees are in the Bible. And I'm going to finish with just three, just quick three. Number one, genealogies in the Bible, they showcase to you, to me, God's covenant faithfulness. God's covenant faithfulness. Just on display for you to see. Because each name that you recognize from the Old Testament part of the Bible that you know is God saying, here's how amazing I am in that life. I love that. Whether it's looking at the names that are, I don't know, Zerubbabel or something like that. God's faithfulness in exile. When his people had failed him, and yet he's going to woo them into a relationship with him again. Because he's faithful. Whether it's something like when the nation of Israel is at danger of extinction. And he says, let me arrange things sovereignly. So that Joseph's story is something you're going to read and never forget. And you'll see how faithful I am. Whether it's King David being able to kill a bloke because he had sex with his wife. And you go, there is redemption for this guy. You are joking. Yes, God even uses And brings repentance in the hearts of people like David. Foreigners. Unworthy foreigners. Like me. Like you. When it comes to the nation of Israel. Like Boaz. Like Ruth, rather. Sorry. He includes in his salvation plan. Adam, even, isn't forgotten. And still included here. God loves imperfect people. One of the reasons genealogies exist, to proclaim God's covenant faithfulness. Reason number two, this particular genealogy shows us the humanity of Jesus. He really is. All the way back to Adam, he's human. Jesus has this dual identity that we see here because it also shows us the divinity of Jesus. His humanity, because you look at verse 23, what does it say about him? He is thought of as the son of Joseph. Because you and I know, it's not because Joseph um, knew Mary. He's not ordinary, this Jesus. And yet, because he is fully man, Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15 this, for as in Adam all die, that's our heritage, we are children of Adam, but in Christ, we'll all be made alive. Adam was disobedient. But Jesus comes into Adam's line, is obedience to death and beyond. And Paul can say, by the obedience of one man, many are made righteous. And so it also shows us the divinity of Jesus. It's almost like this genealogy, this genealogy has got, you know, a little bit of, little bit of Clark Kent there. You've well, got, you've got this, you know, which is the the fully divine, awesome Jesus thought of as the son of Joseph. But actually, he is the better son of God, the truer son of God. And then, glasses on, you've got a whole lineage of human beings. He is human, fully human. He is fully God. You and I began our existence inheriting the sinful nature of Adam. But if we trust in this God-man... Now we have a new hope-filled nature, a new heritage. And so, Jesus, even in this tiny little passage, is the one that was baptized in our place. He fulfills every requirement as a man. He was empowered for our salvation by the Holy Spirit. He did everything that was necessary, resisted temptation, never sinned. And he invites us, now that we are his children, if you trust in him, to rely on God the Holy Spirit too. He was affirmed by the Father. This is my son. I love him. And if you are in Jesus, he loves you, and you get to experience that. He loves all, but you get to experience that if you're in Jesus. And lastly, he's much, much better than our other father, Adam. Let's pray together because of all these things Jesus has done.